to take a moment and welcome everybody back to another fabulous episode of the Knights Pub. Broadcast, broadcasting to you live from the Knightspub.net and also Shoutcast when you log on to our website at www.thenightspub.net. Uh, the little radio at top, just uh, press the play button to listen to the live broadcast. And um, But I must warn you, and I've had a few emails, and I want to apologize if there's been any confusion to any of our audience. 
we only use the um, radio up at the top of the page when we do live um, interviews or when we broadcast live. And the reason being is since we have so many uh, forums and so many venues that um, we get our show out to that can be listened to, not only from the website, but also from like SoundCloud and Spreaker and Podomatic and iTunes and such. Um, we just thought, and also broadcast, I mean, you can listen right from the website. Uh, we just thought it wasn't necessary to have a, uh, rebroadcast server, uh, in the studio. So, uh, we took that down and just, um, if, uh, you know, just for future reference that that radio is only available when we do a live broadcast. Now, if for whatever reason you can't uh, stop by the website, you can always listen to us at Shoutcast. Go to www.shoutcast.com, uh, go to the search button, and then uh, search for The Knights Pub. That is The Space Knights, K-N-I-G-H-T-S, Space Pub. And hit search, and it will bring you to our stream. Press play, and you can join us and listen live. Um, we are preparing and gearing up here to uh, talk to our very special guest here in a few moments. Author of Mo 41, The Bombshell Before Roswell and Three Presidents, and also Two Accidents, More Mo 41, UFO Crash Data and Surprises, uh, with author Paul Smith. And we'll be getting him here uh, on the air here uh, shortly. But wanted to, uh, you know, kind of do a little housekeeping and catch up with uh, uh, some news on the show here. The Night's Pub is going to be very busy, and as far as I could tell, and we also have some more uh, requests for interviews coming in, we're going to be busy up until probably mid to late March. Uh, that would be every Saturday, uh, broadcasting at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're listening to this show right now, um, any other time than Saturday at 7 p.m., then you're probably listening to a podcast, pre-recorded, or a rebroadcast of the show. Um, but guys, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us and, um, here on the night's pub. Uh, we have a lot of guests coming up and a few of them. The next guests we are going to be speaking with will be next Saturday, uh, January 28th at 7 PM. And that's going to be Sonia Braz. And, um, she is author of the curse of El Diablo. So looking forward to speaking with her because she is also a spiritual warrior and a, um, uh, a demonologist. I mean, you just she has a long list of uh, of things that she has, and she has over forty years of training and acquired knowledge in the metaphysics, witchcraft, magic, and uh, sorcery of all cultures and religions of the world. And um, she's actually an active consultant and advisor to exorcists of the Catholic Church, um, as well as deliverance pastors and ministers of all faiths. And she's been doing this for over thirty years. So we are more than honored and to have her on next Saturday again. That's uh, next Saturday, January twenty eighth, at seven o'clock p.m. Now, for anybody who's listening to this and like to become a guest on the show, please go to our our, our uh, show schedule page. And when you uh, when you log in and just uh, you go to the tab up top, uh, show schedule, it'll drop you down to our upcoming guests. Please pay attention to, um, and that that give you a list of who's coming on the show and what times are coming on the show. It also give you links to the websites, Facebook, and and other any other external links. Um, and um, also, our show number is six three six four eight seven four two five eight. Usually, if uh, it, once we have a live show, we'll take uh, incoming phone calls. Um, 
and uh, you know the line is open so it's 636-487-4258 and we'll try our best to uh you know to bring that in uh we've had some bad weather roll through here um friday and um you know things kind of got a little hairy but not as bad as they they said it would cape Girardeau area got uh, a little bit of ice in the trees and also you know a couple of slick spots but you know over Overall, we, we, we got out pretty good. A little bit farther north of us, um, towards Perryville and uh, St. Louis, those guys got a uh, pretty bad mess. So hopefully the phone should cooperate with us tonight. If you want to become a guest on the show, there's a link there that says KP Guests. Download it and just take a quick brief uh, look of uh, who we are and how we got started. And you know, it kind of gives you a little bit of history about the Knights Pub and where myself and Brother Stan came from and uh, you know how we got um, yeah, how we got into the, into the, the broadcast podcast, uh, realm and, um, just kind of gives you an idea of, of what we're looking for. Pretty open forum show. So, uh, we are more than happy, more than honored to have people on and to hear all kinds of topics and, and we'll discuss any topic and, uh, under the sun because, uh, it brings a little bit of variety to our show and that's, that's what we like. If you need to get a hold of uh, myself or Brother Stan, please feel free to drop us a line. Elliot at the Knightspub.net, Stan at the Knightspub.net. And also, just for a general um, you know, inquiry, info at the Knightspub.net. Um, but uh, other than the, the future guests coming on, um, please uh, go to their websites, uh, you know, buy their books, support them because they're taking their time to come out onto the show and to inform us of the things that they put their, you know, their time and their money and their effort and everything into. Now, um, wanted to say thank you to the people that have picked up and broadcast, uh, rebroadcast, so we're actually being rebroadcast in England and also in Sweden. Um, there's, we're being redirected into, a uh, listeners forum there and I just wanted to say thanks and uh, I, I do apologize for a few moments of silence there I was just trying to pull up the statistics really quickly and you know what is say for everybody stopping by and um you know downloading our shows uh, stopping by the website and you know just want to say thank you um you know we really do appreciate you you know coming by and uh, checking us out also um um just wanted to say that uh, we are more than happy to uh you know have listeners comments come in and um you know the emails and and you know the the voicemails and also if you if anybody wants to call the show 636-487-4258 during non uh non live time of course um you you feel free to leave uh, a voicemail um that's a phone number that we we don't monitor unless we're doing a live broadcast and but we're you know we'd love to hear from you so please feel free to uh stop on by well, my friends, we're going to go ahead and take a break here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and uh, put on a load of music for, um, you know, listen to. And, and we're going to get uh, Mr. Smith on the line. And then um, we're looking forward to hearing what he has to say. So enjoy the music and we'll be right back.
Welcome back, and thank you for joining us here at the Knights Pub, www.thenightspub.net. Now, without further ado, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Paul Smith, who is author of Mo 41, The Bombshell Before Roswell, and his most recent book, Three Presidents, Two Accidents, More Mo 41 UFO Crash Data and Surprises. I'd like to welcome our special guest, Paul Smith. Well, thank you for having me on, Elliot. I hope everyone's doing well tonight and ready to listen to what I feel is like one of the most amazing stories in American history that you may never have heard before. And it all traces back to 1941 and in the years afterwards. And I uh, was so fascinated by the story, I began to look around to see uh, what books I could check out on the subject. And around the year 2000, 2001, I found out there was nothing not a single book, although occasionally a book would have a chapter on it. So I decided to write my own, being a Cape Girardeau resident of 33 years. And uh, now I'm glad to say that uh, my book has uh, uh, been out for about a year, Mo 41, and now the sequel came out about three months ago. And I'm able to uh, get it to you directly if you're interested listening tonight. If you go to my um, uh, publisher's website, you can order a copy of these books and at a pretty good price at uh, www.argospublishing.com where shipping is free, which is a pretty rare uh, thing these days. And you could probably go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com and ask for a copy. Possibly you would get uh, an electronic uh, ebook type copy. Uh, they might have the physical copy they can send you, but I always uh, suggest going directly to Argus where, uh, like I say, the shipping is always free. That, that, that is very good information to know. Now, uh, Paul, so you say you're a resident, uh, you were a resident of Cape Girardeau. And That's correct. And when you were here, did you ever once, did you hear about um, the crash that happened here in 1941? I'm embarrassed to say no, I did not. I lived my first 33 years in Cape Girardeau moved over to the western side of Missouri about 20 years ago, and only around the year 2000 did I start hearing about this UFO crash. And I asked my father, who was living in Cape Girardeau, about it, and uh, to my surprise, he had not heard it either, and he knows plenty of people around town. Uh, my stepmother said she heard the story way back in the 1960s when she was going to high school. Now, when I was a boy... I played Little League Baseball in Kappahaw Park in Cape Girardeau, and we had a rotation of about four or five uh, pretty beefy umpires, and one of them was a big guy named Rusty, and uh, you know him better as Rush Limbaugh, the broadcaster. His father was a friend of my father, and Rush Limbaugh, the broadcaster's grandfather, was a pretty good friend of my grandfather. I've never met uh, Rush but I understand uh, he did call the balls and strikes behind me, but I was just a kid at the time. <laughs> I understand uh, someone called his uh, national radio show about 2006, and on the air, uh, they said, Rush, what's up about this spaceship crash story in your hometown of Cape Girardeau? And instead of dismissing this guy and saying, oh, I don't want to hear this, this kooky nonsense, get out of here, he said, there's more to this story than you might think, and he moved on to the next caller. He uh, did not dismiss it, but he did not explain further. He's a, a conservative man with a conservative family and a conservative listenership. And so he didn't really want to go into it. Now, I've been told since then that Rush has told some friends that he heard the Cape Girardeau UFO crash story when he was growing up in Cape Girardeau in the late 50s, early 60s. 
Uh, I can't confirm that, but uh, it sounds like something that would happen. Rush's father in Cape Girardeau was just wild about aviation and hung out at the airports. There were two uh, south of the city, just north of Chaffee and Kelso. And he learned to fly there and became a pilot in World War II and the Korean War. And he's a very uh, accomplished uh, flyer and a pilot. And uh, he passed along that passion to Rush the broadcaster. So I think uh, it would be very, very um, uh, likely that Rush the um, first or second passed along the story that they heard to Rush the third, the broadcaster. And so uh, I would like to get more information from Rush, but I've written to him, but I haven't gotten anything in return. Uh, he is a busy man and with his own life, but um, uh, I understand that um, a couple of sources in Chaffee have told me they heard about the crash when it happened. Uh, this one woman who's just passed on this summer told me she heard about the crash when she was about 10 years old. She remembers the adults in the Chaffee area talking excitedly about this, what they call, quote, little outer spaceship, and that there were, quote, little people on board that were found dead in a farm um, between Chaffee and Cape Girardeau. And she said, we did not use the terms uh, extraterrestrial or ET or flying saucer. Uh, those were all uh, in the future from uh, 1941. Those were not in vogue back then. So that gave her story credibility. Uh, she would have no reason to lie. But uh, for the main part, the, uh, the American public did not learn about this story until a woman stepped forward in the 1990s with a family tale of how her grandfather, Reverend William Huffman, was called out to the crash site and saw everything and told his family just what happened. And if you like, I could pick things up from there. Absolutely. Uh, in 1941, Reverend Huffman lived on uh, North Main Street in Cape Girardeau near what we call the Red Star Baptist Church. Back in those days, it was the Red Star Baptist Tabernacle. It was destroyed in a 1949 uh, tornado, and uh, it uh, was rebuilt as a brick church. But anyway, uh, Reverend Huffman came home one night near midnight, pale and shaken, and the, uh, the family asked, what's, what's going on? Where have you been? And why do you look like you're at death's door? <laughs> and he answered, I'm going to tell you this story once, and then I'm never going to tell you again. And he apparently lived up to that word. He told his wife and his two sons exactly what happened. He said, do you know that phone call that came in earlier this evening? That was an uh, associate of the Cape Girardeau Police Department. They called me in to go to what they thought was an airplane crash. So I agreed to go thinking people would need spiritual comfort, he said. Uh, Reverend Huffman went with this uh, police associate who I feel is likely the Cape Girardeau um, uh, Justice of the Peace, who happened to live, according to my research, I found out, right across the street. And all the Justice of the Peace would have to do is look out his window and see Reverend Huffman home with his family uh, probably Saturday night, April 12th, that's my best guesstimate, uh, 1941, about three weeks before the birth of Reverend Huffman's granddaughter in Cape Girardeau. So Reverend Huffman went out to this crash site with the uh, policeman in an unmarked type car, and uh, they saw the flames, and they saw the smoke and the fire, and the fire department and the police department were there, and when they arrived, they uh, parked in the street and walked about a quarter mile into this field, uh, north of Chaffee, 
probably a bit uh, north and uh, slightly west of Kelso, south of Cape Girardeau. And they found uh, something that astonished and shook them for the rest of their lives. It was not the fuselage of a cylindrical airplane, an airliner. It was a round metal craft that had broken open. And inside, Reverend Huffman said, I got me a big peek. I saw the small metal chairs, a couple of chairs or seats, uh, like for children, and a, a kind of dashboard with uh, uh, dials and, and perhaps gauges. And he saw uh, inside this craft a silver metal band around the interior with strange writing on it, like hieroglyphics. He couldn't make any sense of that. And so uh, as he stepped away, he saw the passengers of this strange round craft. And they were not human beings at all. They were three small gray entities, what we call uh, likely extraterrestrials, the familiar grays that we see in our popular culture now. They were completely unknown and very, very strange looking at the time, I'm sure. They had big round heads, big black eyes, long skinny arms and legs, long skinny fingers, four uh, digits on each hand, three fingers and one long thumb. And they were wearing either very crinkly flight suits that were extremely tight fitting or their skin had been affected by exposure to oxygen and had wrinkled up and was silver and crinkly. So this was uh, quite an amazing sight for anyone, even today. I'm sure we would all freak out if we saw this. Reverend Huffman said some prayers over the first two bodies he found. They were quite dead, laying side by side, pulled out of the wreckage by someone in the grass. And he said some prayers over them. And a third one he knelt over and found, to his great surprise, was still alive, still breathing, his chest going up and down. As Reverend Huffman uh, pondered what to do and probably had his Bible there, uh, the creature suddenly ceased all movement, apparently died right in front of him. So as he was saying some prayers for that one, two local men picked up one of the dead bodies and decided to pose it for a photograph. A man who was there with a big uh, news-type flash camera did not use that uh, big uh, speed graphic-type uh, journalism camera. He pulled out a small pocket camera somewhat like a brownie Kodak in the day, and took uh, one photo of the uh, entity being held up under the arms and outstretched by these two local men. Uh, one was wearing just a shirt and slacks, and the other a light jacket, and uh, it seemed like a very warm night. And indeed, uh, upon my research, I found out that the Passover Easter weekend in Cape Girardeau was unusually warm with temperatures up near 80 degrees that Saturday and at night probably down into the uh, 70s or upper 60s. So Reverend Huffman saw all of this, and he saw some military uniformed personnel standing around inspecting the crash and the pieces of debris on the ground. He saw what he felt and reported to his family were FBI agents. And when I first heard this story relayed by Reverend Huffman's uh, granddaughter, I thought, aha, uh -huh, I've got you. There were no FBI agents in Cape Girardeau in those days. They couldn't have just rushed right out the night of the crash, but I was wrong. Uh, in doing my research, I found out that one month before the crash, the FBI opened a field office in Cape Girardeau, downtown in the old post office building, which has uh, been since torn down. But the FBI was in the area, uh, according to this news article, with agents investigating spy rings and sabotage in the days before America joined the World War II effort to fight the Nazi Germany. 
Uh, Cape Girard had a very substantial German population back in the 40s, and I think they still do. He had the occasional church service in German. There were so many German-Americans. And in those days, uh, maybe just a small, tiny handful were sympathetic to Adolf Hitler and his Nazi regime. So the FBI knew they had to scoot on out to this, uh, what they thought was going to be an airplane crash and turn out to be an uh, extraterrestrial crash and keep this story covered up as best they could. But Reverend Huffman uh, found out that was nothing compared to what was coming. It was the United States Army. They showed up pretty quickly by like uh, 9, 30, 10 o'clock and surrounded the place and uh, hemmed everyone in and, and told them, told Reverend Huffman specifically, you did not see this. This never happened. This is a matter of national security. You're never to speak of this for the rest of your life. And so he hustled on out of there uh, within an hour or so and drove back into town with his policeman friend and promptly broke that oath by telling his family uh, just what he had seen. And he was so shaken that, once again, he kept his uh, mouth shut for the rest of his life. However, uh, according to Reverend Huffman's granddaughter, uh, the photographer who took this amazing picture of the alien being propped up uh, popped by the Huffman home on North Main Street and said, I've got a copy of this picture. I want you to have a copy. And he handed a photograph of the alien to Reverend Huffman, and then he got on out of there. Uh, according to Reverend Huffman uh, and his family, this uh, photographer was most nervous. And a lot of people in town were very nervous about talking about the crash and uh, being overheard by others discussing this amazing event. Uh, it, there was a, almost a, an atmosphere of fear or paranoia uh, amongst some people. So Reverend Huffman was actually not too thrilled to get this photograph, and he tucked it away. Actually, he gave it to his son to tuck away, and he did in the family home. So Now, uh, the family, a few years later, moved to uh, Oklahoma, and then eventually, by the early 50s, settled in a small town in Kansas. At that time, they were talking to a neighbor who had been in Army intelligence during the war. And they mentioned how they've got a picture of an extraterrestrial or an outer space person. And this uh, gentleman who was uh, in the Army and in, in the intelligence unit asked to see it. And he said, oh, I'm familiar with photography, and uh, I'll look this over carefully and check with a friend of mine, and I'll get it back to you. Uh, the man disappeared. He took the photograph. He left town, and they never saw this valuable piece of evidence again. Uh, if anyone has any uh, information on the whereabouts of the Huffman family photo or the copy that the photographer has, uh, be sure to sing out. You can contact my website uh, at mo41.info, or even better, go to my Facebook page, which is called Cape Girardeau's 1941 UFO Crash, America's First. I've gotten plenty of tips and information from uh, people who have read my book and heard my story. And they've given me uh, some juicy nuggets, and I had so much information left over in addition to this that I created my second book, and it came out in late October. Uh, the first one, I was uh, quite startled but surprised to see Mo 41, the bombshell before Roswell, was featured on the History Channel this past summer, shown on the air on the TV show Ancient Aliens, which covered the Cape Girardeau crash for about two or three minutes. And they showed the cover of my book. I've never seen any anyone's book shown like this. So uh, they did not tell me in advance, and I was quite startled to see this when I was watching the show. It's, now, with the um, 
you were talking about the paranoia that was in Cape at that time. Why, why the cover-up? I mean, why, um, you know, wh- what do you believe um, would be gained with all the secrecy and all the, uh, the silence? Uh, to trace this down a little bit, uh, the sheriff of Cape Girardeau was named Reuben Shoddy. He was from uh, Jackson, Missouri. He, uh, that was the county seat and still is, I believe. And his brother was Ben Shoddy, who was part of a Sykeston Army Air Corps uh, training program. So that's how uh, quickly the uh, Army could have been notified that night with uh, the uh, Sykeston aerial um, uh, training people hopping into a Jeep or a couple of trucks and driving up uh, Highway 61 from Sykeston to Cape Girardeau, finding the crash site as guided by the sheriff and told everyone to keep your mouth shut. This is a matter of national security. The commander of that unit, uh, Captain Root was his name, Charles B. Root, had come directly from Washington, D.C., where he undoubtedly had a lot of highly placed contacts. So all it took was a few phone calls to learn that this was top secret. Do not discuss this. Keep this clamped. And uh, work with the FBI, probably, if you have to, to keep it covered up. We don't want America's enemies to find out about this potential secret weapon, this amazing event that we've got. We've got to keep the uh, lid on this story from, uh, let's say, uh, Nazi sympathizers or uh, saboteurs or spies that that were actually in the Cape Girardeau area. Now, that leads us to an interesting story a few years ago. Uh, a man came forward and said his grandfather, named Walter Reynolds, was a Cape Girardeau fireman. And on his deathbed, uh, ill with cancer, uh, Fireman Reynolds said, You know that story about the 1941 Cape Girardeau UFO crash? Well, that story is true. I should know. I was there. I was helping to put out the fire. I saw the spaceship. I saw the bodies. The story is absolutely true. And I saw the Army come in, and they surrounded the place. And the Army caught me, said uh, Fireman Reynolds, trying to pocket a piece of debris. We were not allowed to keep any scraps or any souvenirs. All the photographic film was taken from reporters and likely their notes. And the Army caught him trying to pocket this uh, metallic uh, debris, and they got angry and they forced him to give it back, and then they booted him out of the crash site. And Rever- or, uh, rather, Fireman Reynolds said that in the aftermath, his phone was tapped and he was being watched around town. So there's an air of uh, fear and paranoia that is apparently pretty justified, actually, when you are being uh, observed and monitored and your phone tapped. I did more research, and it turns out J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI were wild about phone taps, as was President Roosevelt at the time. They ordered taps so much that they accumulated a huge catalog and had to come up with a kind of new filing system in 1941 for all the people they were essentially illegally wiretapping and keeping uh, tabs on. And that included, by late 1941, a young naval ensign in Washington, D.C., known as John F. Kennedy. He had been working out of the Office of Naval Intelligence and talking about some things he shouldn't have been talking about to his lover, uh, a woman named Inga Arvad, and soon JFK found his phone tapped and he was being watched around uh, Washington and when he got transferred around this time, mid-January in 1942. So we don't know for sure that JFK uh, knew about the uh, 41 crash, but it's very possible, and it would have been something really juicy to impress uh, your friends with or your girlfriend. 
So it uh, gives you uh, an example of uh, how people would have been afraid as uh, maybe word of this leak that you could be uh, wiretapped and monitored or even followed around Cape Girardeau in 41. And another factor was Cape Girardeau was the home of a National Guard Reserve where many local citizens were part of the Army and probably asked to keep an eye on what's going on in town. Have you heard anything? And uh, so that lent more, probably more uh, mild paranoia about who's watching who and who's talking about who. It's also very interesting to learn that uh, Missouri's 1941 Democratic Senator, Harry S. Truman, lived in Cape Girardeau in 1906 and trained at that National Guard armory. Harry was in Washington, D.C. on the night of the crash and having some very mysterious pains in his uh, abdomen, his chest area, and his wife was very worried. They were up late last or that night, and it turns out that they felt it was likely gallstones, but they were never quite sure uh, why he was having these uh, very strange pains at the exact time I felt of the crash, I don't know. But uh, the following Monday morning, Harry was conducting military defense funding uh, uh, investigations and hearings involving uh, top brass from the United States Army, and uh, including General George Marshall. And why is that significant? Well, General Marshall was uh, uh, FDR's top Army uh, executive. He was chief of staff of the Army, and he would have been someone you would have called directly that night. And I did some research and found out that uh, General Marshall was on an Army camp tour of the American South during the time of the crash, and his itinerary stops abruptly on that Saturday night. He was scheduled to fly to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia the next day, and the itinerary for those stops uh, is not checked off, and something happened, obviously. Uh, something kept him from going through his uh, uh, routine in, in inspections of these Army bases. Also, I found out that uh, he sent... Uh, uh, the wives of the commanders of the bases uh, thank you notes and these thank you notes went out to everyone until Saturday night and the members of the uh, people he was meeting with uh, everything came to an abrupt halt so I feel it's very very possible that April 12th Saturday night was likely the date and that General Marshall was probably called by military brass of the president himself in the White House and told to look into this matter. I don't believe he flew directly to Cape Girardeau, and certainly in those days, Cape Girardeau's two airports were not lit. You could not land at night. But I do believe the orders were uh, likely for the Sykeston crew that took off with the debris and the bodies to, as soon as uh, Sunday morning, Easter morning came around, to fly those bodies back to Washington so the upper brass in the military could take a look at them. Uh, then I began researching President Roosevelt's uh, schedule, and he too was up unusually late Saturday night, April 12th. He did not retire to his bedroom until after midnight. He was with a few Army people that night, coincidentally. I don't know if you want to uh, call it coincidence or conspiracy, but the President was normally in bed between 10 and 11 o'clock at night, but for some reason that Saturday night he went to bed up to upstairs after midnight, and uh, normally, uh, on a Sunday morning, they would go to an early sunrise Freemason service in Washington, D.C. He did not do that uh, Sunday morning uh, in April of 1941. And Eleanor Roosevelt uh, also would go to that. And she was in Boston the night of the crash. And very strangely, mysteriously, I found out she was supposed to be on an airliner and head from Boston to Washington. And someone canceled her flight. 
They forced her to get her luggage off the plane with her entourage and go across Boston, go to the train station, buy some tickets and get on and take the train all the way down the East Coast as if she had been grounded and kept from the air on purpose, which I think would be a very normal reaction if you're the commander in chief and you want to keep this story under wraps and you're not sure what's going on. Is it our our airwaves or, uh, or rather our air? space safe uh are we about to be invaded or is there going to be more sightings or more crashes so i think everything was kind of on hold for a few days as uh, fdr and the military and the people on the ground in cape Girardeau uh looked over the matter and patiently waited for the other shoe to drop and nothing else did so they felt like this was probably a kind of alien scouting mission or someone uh, just flying around, looking, observing at the countryside, and happened to crash near Cape Girardeau. Now, during that time in 1941, um, Hollywood was involved in some way, and there was some kind of correlation with Hollywood. And also, um, there was a similar event that possibly occurred in Russia um, at the same time of the crash in Missouri in 1941. It's very sketchy, and I wish I had more information, but I did find a website that talked about um, a couple of days after the April 12th period in America. There was a um, UFO crash in Rostov-on-Don, which is like uh, a river town in uh, western Russia, and it sounded very much like the Cape Girardeau crash. In fact, they had uh, the army show up and silence everyone, according to this uh, sketchy story. And they took off with the debris and the ship and the bodies, just like Cape Girardeau. The Army took it all away and kind of kept people out of this uh, rural area near a river, the Rostov River. And uh, it's uh, maybe a coincidence or not, but the story in Russia was that witnesses saw another spaceship sort of zap or hit <laughs> a second spaceship with a laser or some sort of light and cripple it and down it like there was some sort of intergalactic war going on, as crazy as that sounds. Now, I don't know what caused that crash, but um, it's interesting. Uh, you have to wonder what caused the Cape Girardeau crash. It was a perfectly uh, clear night. There was some mild breeze. It had been very breezy during the day, but at night, you know, the, uh, the breeze dies down. And uh, it was very calm out in the open uh, countryside. So uh, here we have a, a strange, uh, possibly correlating story, almost a mirror image. I just uh, wish I could get more information on that. Now, how does Hollywood play, uh, how do they play into the crash of 1941? Well, not too directly. However, uh, according to a friend of mine, uh, a researcher and author named Ryan S. Wood, the Office of Naval Intelligence took over uh, according to documents that he had discovered, uh, the autopsy of aliens. Uh, this was handled by uh, probably FDR's personal physician, who was the Surgeon General of the Navy. Uh, and I'm leading to something here, just bear with me. Uh, so this was done in the months after the crash. Uh, and around this time, a scientific review board was apparently uh, inspecting the Cape Girardeau remains to see how it could be replicated or duplicated and possibly weaponized. And into this atmosphere, uh, FDR's biggest Hollywood supporter was Carol Lombard, and she decided to go on a Bond tour 
and support the new American war effort in this time, mid-January 1942, almost 75 years ago, nearly to the day uh, when her plane crashed uh, outside of Las Vegas. And it's very interesting to know that a UFO was sighted uh, on the ground by a couple of witnesses who said it hung like an amber or yellow lantern in the sky. And uh, the crash was very much like the Cape Girardeau crash. The, uh, the plane uh, lost power, smashed into the side of a mountain. There was a huge fireball and dead bodies and debris uh, all around. And that uh, this was around the time uh, the Cape Girardeau remains were being inspected and everything. And to uh, kind of wrap it up briefly, there's more detail in my uh, second book on this. Uh, a few years later, during the war, uh, FDR and the, uh, the Navy authorized uh, a couple of fighting ships in the Pacific to be released in the Los Angeles area. One was named the SS Cape Girardeau, and the other was named the SS Carol Lombard. So uh, in a small sense, there could be a kind of connection in that uh, I point out little bits and pieces, such as Carol Lombard visited uh, the U.S. Capitol building, where we can get into another story that said that uh, an eyewitness, another Christian pastor, said he saw what matches exactly the Cape Girardeau uh, recoveries from the UFO crash. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, now, her husband, Carol Lombard, was Clark Gable. Am, am That's I... correct. Now, uh, what... And she died in Clark County, Nevada, by the way. Wow. Clark Gable was the king of Hollywood, the most famous actor and the biggest box office draw in America. And when he heard that his wife was killed, he flew immediately to Las Vegas to try to find her body and was devastated. He was never really the same since. But he was a Freemason. And for some reason, Freemasons are wild about the United States Capitol building. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt was a Freemason. And in the time before, just before the Cape Girardeau crash, Carol Lombard and Clark Gable went to the White House, visited with President Roosevelt and his family, and then they took in a tour of the U.S. Capitol building. Uh, it was around Christmas time, so there was no one around. Whether they went down to the basement or sub-basement of the Capitol, I don't know. But uh, Freemasons are just wild about the Capitol building. To this day, they featured on the cover of their literature. Now, in uh, 19, the early 40s, uh, a reverend um, uh, from Ohio, Reverend Turner Holt, told his two daughters that he was in Washington and his cousin, Cordell Hull, FDR's Secretary of State, took him downstairs at the Capitol building. And he said, what are we going here for? And he said, you'll see. And he took him down to a sub-basement storeroom, a locked area, where he opened the door and showed off a crashed round spaceship, cracked open. It had been cut into uh, some sections in order to fit it into the room. There was a box of debris, and there were three small gray alien bodies kept in glass jars swimming in what appeared to be formaldehyde. And their uh, description was exactly like the Cape Girardeau crash. Now, uh, they estimate this well could have been... Uh, the spring of 41, it's still a little sketchy, the precise date that this event occurred. But it seems uh, a bit ludicrous at first to say, well, there were aliens kept underneath the Capitol building? Come on, even I was skeptical when I first heard this story. But you have to remember, in 1941, there was no NSA or CIA or defense intelligence. There wasn't even a Pentagon or a national laboratory. Uh, FDR was in charge. He was wild about the Capitol building. He'd been there three times uh, uh, in 1941. 
and he had given uh, a couple of speeches there earlier in the year. And he was involved with the uh, Capitol architect in uh, designing uh, uh, an effort to fight uh, legislation to change the uh, nature of some aspect of the Capitol building. So it makes more and more sense that the uh, Cape Girardeau recoveries, not knowing if uh, they were safe to store anywhere else, were tucked into this special room underneath the Capitol, which, uh, as I mentioned, so many Freemasons in those days were um, in positions of power like Harry S. Truman, was the Freemason uh, Grand Master Mason of, of the state of Missouri. He was a powerful man in the uh, Senate side. The Speaker of the House was a Freemason, Sam Rayburn. The Vice President, Henry Wallace, was a huge Freemason, 33rd degree, and he kept an office in the U.S. Capitol building. So Freemasons were in and out of there, and they had themselves quite a secret. And uh, it's interesting to learn that in Cape Girardeau, one of the leading Freemasons is Rush Limbaugh I. And so was the mayor of Cape Girardeau, Hinkle Statler was his name. And uh, a Cape Girardeau policeman, I found out, Fritz Schneider, who may well have been at the crash site, was a Freemason. And what do Freemasons do? They are a secret society that do secret things and keep juicy secrets. So uh, I've been unable to pin down precisely that this information was kept hushed up from the federal level to the state level to the Cape Girardeau level, but it all makes sense now that uh, it would be tucked away by people with Freemason leanings and they would work together to keep this quiet. The president himself was an ardent Freemason and if he was going to store the Cape Girardeau finds anywhere, well, he couldn't take it to the White House. They had no uh, sub-basement or underground shelter. And am amazingly, in 1941, as the year progressed, the president ordered a <laughs> sub-basement underground area be built on the side of the White House. So I doubt if the uh, Cape Girardeau recoveries were taken there. But I believe it is very possible that um, they were placed in this underground room. And it's interesting to note that in uh, the spring of uh, 2015, 2016, I was watching uh, 60 Minutes, and uh, the program was about this uh, uh, report on 9-11 that had just been released from a special underground vaulted room in the U.S. Capitol, and they showed the doorway to this special sub-basement room on national television on 60 Minutes, so it really does exist, and they may have actually shown the, uh, the real site where the Cape Girardeau recoveries were uh, stored. I don't know for sure, but uh, the pieces fit together logically without a lot of wild conspiracy conjecture. Now, with all the secrecy and all the secrets and, um, you know, everyone kind of keeping this hush-hush, with the Freedom of Information Act, how reliable do you think that these disclosures and the information that are, is available to the public, uh, especially concerning, um, you know, the crash of 41, if it's there, um, intact, or, you know, a lot of these other things that have been going on, especially like with uh, Carol's uh, plane crash and all the significant events that led up or that happened around that time period. Uh, FBI reports and the entire crash report for Carol Lombard uh, were hushed up, the FBI reports anyway, for 40 years they were kept from the American public. And when they were released, they were heavily redacted. So there's a lot of juicy information the FBI collected at the time about this UFO that uh, was in the vicinity of Carol's uh, flight and that may well have caused her to crash. Uh, her plane and 21 others died that day, 75 years ago. And so that's an example of um, how it could be hushed up. 
And an author a few years ago went about trying to find the full file on the Carol Lombard crash and was promised uh, that he would get it by some government people. And uh, there was a lot of red tape and rigmarole. And they finally told him, you can't have it. So even today, this is kept hushed up. I doubt if there's much paperwork remaining on the Cape Girardeau crash. But uh, Ryan S. Wood, the uh, very fine researcher, who has a very fine website called www.majesticdocuments.com. I highly recommend you go there, all of your listeners, and look it up. You can see real documents talking about spaceship crash recoveries that the American military undertook in secret. And uh, it mentions FDR's, uh, uh, FDR's memo on the Non-Terrestrial Science and Technology Committee looking into a certain recovery that they had uh, absconded with. That was dated around 1942, I believe, so it couldn't have been about anything other than Cape Girardeau. And it talked about, uh, another one was uh, a reference to these celestial wonders that have come to us, uh, and uh, FDR wanting to turn them into uh, weapons that could be used in the American war effort, which would have been a perfectly natural reaction to, to try to replicate the atomic engine or the structure of the uh, craft and apply it to America's... Uh, war effort toward the atomic bomb and uh, that's where we get into another amazing story that uh, possibly the Cape Girardeau technology uh, well the alien technology in Cape Girardeau was applied to the atom bomb to help win the war and in my research I found out there was a special um, uh, factory for making a part of the atom bomb in downtown Cape Girardeau in the upstairs of what uh, then was the Ford Groves auto dealership today it is a um, Nip Kelly building uh, downtown, and it would have been right next door to the Cape Girardeau Freemason Lodge. So a lot of these strange things come together very interestingly. The more you learn, the more eerie and exciting the whole story is. I've been uh, trying to contact a television producer, see if I can get it turned into a, a documentary like you see on Ancient Aliens or Hunting Hitler or something of that nature. I'd like to get it into the hands of a, a motion picture producer, but I have not been able to do so yet. It's a, a terrific story waiting to be uh, told in a blockbuster movie someday, I hope. <laughs> now, obviously, Paul, something important has happened here uh, concerning especially the, the, the crash and you know the way things were handled because a lot of people have went um, to extraordinary measures to keep this silent. Um, for example, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Harry Truman had a meeting with, uh, I, uh, uh, I guess, the, the paper, the Missourian, um, the editors, I believe, um, concerning, uh, in, I guess, some of this, if I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken, sir. Here's another juicy tidbit. The uh, editor of the paper went to Washington, D.C. and was Harry Truman's special guest in the White House twice during his administration. And then in the uh, 1960s, Harry Truman came back to Cape Girardeau and was a special guest in the office of the editor of the Missourian, or the owner of the paper. Mr. Uh, Fred Nader was his name. And at that time, uh, it was reported that uh, uh, the mayor and other uh, local big shots and their aides and other reporters showed up, and they were all hustled out of the editor's office. And Harry said, uh, we want to talk in private about something. And they uh, got everyone, kicked them out of the office. And when they emerged, they refused to speak about the secret subject they were talking. They went to this day. Nobody knows what Harry and Fred Nader were discussing. This happened twice in the early 60s when Harry Truman came to town. 
What do you think it was that was so secret that they could not talk about it to anyone later, that they had to kick everyone out of the office? Could it be the 1941 story that the Missourian editor, who was there at the time, or the owner, uh, was uh, willing to sit on the story and keep it clamped down and not report it as the government asked? So uh, that would certainly be an answer, although, uh, once again, this would be speculative, but not unreasonably so. Where do you think, um, and you had mentioned that the crash and also the bodies were stored in Washington for uh, some time. Where do you think those are currently stored now? That's a very good question. Where is it today? I don't know. I honestly have no idea. I do believe that after the heat died down and they discovered we're not in any danger, that the president had his scientific team look at them probably at Fort Belvere in Washington, where they had a, a, some offices for the uh, very scientists who happened to show up just days after the crash in the Oval Office talking to FDR according to the records I research. His name was Dr. Vannevar Bush. And his name is all over uh, these documents that Ryan Wood has collected on uh, UFO crashes and what the government knew. So this hangs together very nicely. What happened to the bodies after an, in an initial autopsy? And what happened to the crash debris and to the, uh, the chassis or fuselage of the ship? I don't know. Uh, it could be still in a lab being examined to this day, for all I know. It's a, it's a very great mystery. Uh, I'd sure like to learn more if anyone has an inside scoop, anyone who has some data from their family or a diary or a, a picture or a, a family tale they'd like to pass along, be sure to contact me, as I mentioned, at my Facebook page or on my uh, website, mo41.info. Yeah, and we, we we have links up to those, uh, so everyone. So, uh, you know, oh, please, thank you. Yeah, yeah, we, we do. And um, again, Paul, this is just very interesting. Um um, through your, you know, since you've written your books, have you ever been contacted by someone who, uh, you know, someone anonymously who says that they've been contacted in this region, um, you know, with alien contact or abduction or just anything of that nature that, you know, is presided in this area? I've gotten a number of people who have secondhand stories, but no one firsthand like I've uh, been abducted or I saw this strange UFO land uh, just real quick uh, a gentleman contacted me through email and told me about his uncle Howard in Cape Girardeau who swears up and down he did at the time and other family members confirm that uh, he saw a UFO come down and land near uh, Bloomfield Road near Hauk Woods in 1946 five years after the crash he said that uh, extraterrestrials stepped out of this ship and looked around, and a crowd gathered out on Bloomfield Road to look at this, and so many people showed up to stare at these entities that the police were called. And the police told them, don't go near them, let them go about their business. And uh, the, the entities got back in their ship after about 20 minutes, and it hovered in space, or just above the ground, and then took off into space suddenly. Now, I don't know if that story is true, but that's an example of someone coming forward to tell a tale that they swear up and down is quite true. And this leads to another story where someone has told me uh, there's an esteemed family in Cape Girardeau, lived near Hawk Woods, who had a property at the time, and their parents told them some of the debris from the 1941 crash came spinning off and landed in their yard, which is an amazing story. And I tried to contact these uh, two gentlemen who are the uh, 
the sons of the parents who I believe are passed on now, and they do not care to elaborate on this claim. They won't talk about it one way or the other. They're a very conservative, uh, well-thought-of family, and they figure they've said enough. But it makes sense now, if you hear this 1946 story, it makes you wonder, did the aliens come back looking for some particle of the crash or uh, some aspect of uh, what happened years before? looking around in the area of either the first crash site or more closely the uh, so supposed secondary crash site. It's a, a whopper of a tale, and it needs to be told if I could just get Steven Spielberg's attention. <laughs> you know, uh, he married Kate Capshaw, who lived in Chaffee for a number of years, and she had a daughter by her first husband, the, the son of the mayor of Chaffee. And so I think Steven Spielberg likely came to Cape Girardeau, perhaps even used the airport, may have been driven right past the story of the century, only he didn't know it. And I think if I could get his attention, he would be very interested in this tale, possibly for a movie. I just don't have any pull in that department. <laughs> it's just incredible, um, you know, with the contacts, with the people you've contacted, who um, who possibly could have physical evidence of this you know, crash or a significant piece, uh, a clue to this puzzle, that they're so hesitant to bring the facts and bring the story forward to where, you know, I mean, I, what, what was, what do you think their thought pattern is? I mean, because if, I mean, me, honestly, if I had something that, you know, I could physically touch was proof as a crash, I mean, I would think I would come forward I, I know I would come forward with the, with the evidence to prove like, hey, you know, this stuff is real because I mean, and you understand, and I'm sure you've run into people since you you've re wrote your books and research and everything where, you know, as soon as you say aliens or UFOs or you know anything strange in the sky, they immediately give you that look like you know you've missed your next dose of meds or you know you escaped from you know <laughs> right. a mental institution. No one wants to be something. thought of as kook. And I'm sure uh, conservative people to this day who may know something about the story are still sitting on it. But others have only sketchy secondhand stories. Uh, there was one uh, uh, topics forum uh, on the Cape Girardeau crash, and a man said he uh, talked to the owner of the property who uh, found bits of metal in the soil when he dug himself a cistern, a kind of well or, uh, in the soil after the crash. He was not told about the spaceship crash. And he said that this this strange metal couldn't be bent or folded or creased permanently, and it couldn't be cut. He couldn't get the darn stuff to uh, rip or cut apart, and it had some unusual logos or symbols on them. And he stored them in his barn for many years. And uh, he, this man who talked to the old gentleman said he won't tell me what he's done with it. So there could be physical evidence still to this day in someone's safety deposit box or in a box in an attic somewhere. And there are folks who either don't want to talk about the crash or just uh, don't know about it. Let's say um, your family members knew about it way back when. Well, that was 75 years ago. And not only are eyewitnesses deceased, but in many cases, the, the children of eyewitnesses uh, who could have known something are now deceased. So the story is fading and we need to grasp at anything that's out there to help prove it and uh, uh, back up what could be the story of the, the century or even the millennium. Now, um, and we spoke about this before we went on air a little bit. Um, in August of 2008, uh, there uh, was some hustle here in the Cape Girardeau area, and that was the first time that I had heard about uh, the UFO uh, crash here in the Cape Girardeau area. 
is um, they had some kind of large areas in a, in a cornfield. It looked like that it, there was a, um, a crop circle, but it looked like it was the beginning of something intricate out in the field. And so a reporter from Cape, uh, from the newspaper locally and also one of the IT guys went there and they were looking at this. And, you know, of course, the classic crop circle, corn bent over, um, you know, no no footsteps. I mean, it, it literally, they said, looked like something came down, hovered, pushed it down, and then took right off. Now, since then, and, you know, of course, you know, with your, you know, your books, your website, Facebook, have you been contacted about any other possible revisits to the Cape Girardeau after that crash? Well, uh, I make very sure not to give a very, very specific pinpoint location in my two books because I don't want to be held responsible if people start showing up at this uh, specific farm site and demanding to see the evidence or digging around on their own, trespassing. This is someone's property, someone's business, and someone's home, and we don't belong there. Not only is it uh, illegal to trespass, but I understand the farm area and the woods around them are rife with rattlesnakes and copperheads. It would be very dangerous. So I don't recommend anyone go there. Uh, having said that, uh, I sure would like someone to come forward with this kind of evidence or more stories as what you've described, uh, such as any crop patterns that have popped up. It could be that the owners of the property of where this crop pattern occurred, ask the media to leave, or we don't want this publicized. Would you want your farm overrun with people uh, from all over the community? Or in the case of the Cape Girardeau crash, we might have people coming from all over the country or all over the world and showing up at all hours of the day and night, tramping across your land or knocking on your door, demanding to see the UFO crash site or the evidence. It would be a, a disaster and a nightmare as far as privacy goes. So um, it's a, an example. The media work probably uh, waved off of the story in 2008. I have heard of uh, another story from a woman in Chaffee who said she saw a ball of light one night hovering over the uh, general crash area. Uh, this was about 10, 12 years ago. And she and her husband sat on their porch and watched this strange ball of light hover and move around and then suddenly uh, take off to the uh, east and near the airport and then shoot off into the sky. It was very strange. And they were, uh, you know, naturally uh, a little uh, scared or intimidated to report this. They didn't want anyone to think they were crazy and they don't want the government on their backs in case they've just seen something they shouldn't. So I think that in a microcosm is an example of why many people probably have information on the story and do not care to come forward. They're a little intimidated to this day. Paul, we're uh, coming up on a time here, um, and I just wanted to uh, ask, are there any future projects that you're working on? And um, if people do have information, you know, what are some avenues that they can take to uh, get a hold of you with this information? They can write to um, me directly through my website. I give an email address. They can write uh, a letter or an email to my publishers, and they'll get the information to me. You can contact me on Facebook at uh, what I mentioned, uh, Cape Girardeau's 1941 UFO crash. Uh, you can even um, contact um, someone in your community with the newspaper, and they know me, and they would probably forward the information to me, as they have on a couple of occasions 
when uh, some people had a little bits and pieces, including a gentleman from Cape Girardeau, still alive, said, I remember my sister talking about the crash in 1941. She heard about it from a friend and said that the nurses who saw the bodies that night, their faces went white with fright. They were so shaken up, so scared by this, and that uh, they were ordered not to talk. And so this is an, an example of there's still uh, family history out there to be told. And I certainly encourage you to find whatever avenue you have and even pass it along to Elliot Adams. And he'll uh, hold on to the information and get it to me if you have to. Contact the Old Knights Pub. That's a good resource. Absolutely. And if, um, um, if I do get any information, you better believe I will pass it along your way. All right. I thank you. <laughs> Well, um, Paul, I appreciate you taking the time out this evening, uh, coming on the show, and uh, my mind is literally blown right now just with all the information um, that y you know you've 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 given me and also our guest and uh, our, our our audience, and it's just it, incredible. It is mind blowing to, to think all of this happened around our hometown area, You're Cape right. and Chaffee, and, and that was like one of the biggest stories ever. It does kind of blow your mind, and it's hard to get your uh, thoughts wrapped around this fully and completely that this really did happen and that it might be still covered up to this day. But it's such a tasty story. I hope I've explored it as much as I can in my two books, and I hope you'll be able to read them. If you're listening, uh, get a copy and enjoy. Absolutely, Paul. Well, I, we appreciate it. Thank you very much, and we will definitely be in touch with you. All righty. Thank you for having me on. Good night. All righty. Have a good evening. Well, that was author Paul Smith, and I must say right now my mind is completely blown because, as he mentioned, um, he was he was on, uh, as he mentioned, he, he's from the Cape Girardeau area, and, um, you know, I'm from, uh, I live near the Cape Girardeau area, and so, you know, with him being on, or coming on, and talking about something that... Again, my mind is just swirling just because of all this and uh, because of, of, of where it's at. You know, I've lived down here in the Cape Girardeau area for a little over 12 years now. And 2008 was the very first time that I heard about that. And I was speaking with Paul off the air before we, we went on the air. And uh, I had a few acquaintances that worked uh, at the newspaper. And I know uh, when they thought that there was a... Um, a crop circle out in Chaffee, they went out to investigate and they started to, uh, I guess, research some of the archives, request archives, and they were pretty well shut down. So obviously something happened there to uh, cause, uh, to, to shut them down and shut them out. So it's a pretty sensitive area. And, you know, and of course with Paul Smith, please stop by his website and uh you know get his books his website is www.mo41.info um you know check out his uh facebook we're gonna have uh the facebook link i didn't uh i didn't get the link up for facebook but uh, i'll get that up here soon but before we get out of here i wanted to say uh, a special thank you to peter gishaker uh, positively dark, and I pray that I'm saying his name correctly. Uh, you can download their music for free, the same music that we use to open and close with and that we in, um, you know, inject into our, our, our breaks and stuff. Um, positively dark, you can go to music.geshiker.com and download them for free. Um, and you know, we truly do appreciate it, Peter, that you allowed us to use the music for our shows. 
Well, my friends, please stop by thenightspub.net. Check out the show schedule. We have um, interesting interviews coming up. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to them and we're looking forward to having our future guest on again. Thank you, Paul, for taking the time out to come on the night's pub and to, you know, just basically blow our mind with the information about our, our hometown, our Cape Girardeau here. So until then, my friends, take care of one another, love one another and pray for one another and don't stop praying. And we'll catch you the next time down at the pub. 